Sales credibility is the it factor necessary to make a sale or close a deal. It's as important to sales as oxygen is to life on this planet. But how do you know if you have it or how to get it? Today's guest, marketing expert Ryan Sowers, has the answer. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Ryan Sowers helps clients in creatively authentic ways grow their brand, increase sales, improve their marketing strategy, and achieve organizational growth. Ryan is President and Chief Marketing Officer of Sowers Consulting Strategies, where he consults with the front end of a large assortment of profit and nonprofit organizations across the country. Key consulting focus areas include sales growth, brand positioning, organizational strategy, and customized marketing plans. Ryan has repeatedly been recognized as one of the top 80 chief marketing officers in the world, as well as a thought leader in human behavior. His focus is in sales, marketing, branding, communications, leadership, executive coaching, and organizational change and culture. And he shares his insights as an instructor at local universities, as a national speaker, and as an author contributing articles to global publications. Matter of fact, he's even written two best-selling books, one called Everyone is in Sales and the other, Would You Buy from You? I can't wait to hear more about marketing credibility, so let's bring him on now. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Ryan. Well, thank you, Hannah. It's so great to be here and so great to be in your show. So I'm looking forward to a great time together as we talk. We're going to have some fun here. So, Ryan, tell me, what's up with this marketing credibility? Is it a sales thing or a marketing thing? You know, that's a great question. And my, in my newest book, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, Would You Buy From You? Actually, on the front cover, a uh, graphic we used, uh, I felt passionate about, was the intersection of sales and marketing. And I feel, um, I feel the two are, inter- you know, they, they get put in silos. Um, salespeople are salespeople. Marketing people are marketing people. And I, th- I feel that's wrong. You know, I've spent my career doing both, so it's not a sales and marketing track because you have a lot of salespeople who don't understand marketing and a lot of marketing people who don't understand sales. I feel in 2017 and beyond, the intersection of the two um, is vital. So what I mean by that is, you know, marketing, I think of that as a football, you know, people sitting in the uh, – coaches sitting in the football stadium calling the plays and look at where, where the organization wants to go, and the salespeople are trying to execute that plan. But the salespeople who are on the field can see things possibly that the marketing people, if you will, but the coaches in the stands are not seeing firsthand. So kind of my answer is a, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Well, what's the biggest thing that's missing in, in each of these silos? Great question. Well, you know, I think you know, salespeople traditionally have gotten by with, um, you know, the typical, I've got a great personality, I'm a people person, I'm a hard worker. But they don't take a step back and use these marketing skills that, that should be employed of, of really thinking back, who, who is their audience? What, are, what brand are they building? What are they trying to do? I mean, they, they get out and hustle, all right, but, you know, just, just um, not thinking through it is, is sometimes uh, they're working a lot harder but not smart. 
in contrast, uh, marketing people often, you know, with research and development and marketing research and strategies and measurement and all this stuff, you know, they, they don't ever get their hands dirty. And so um, I feel that, um, you know, they both have their place. But bringing them together, I've just watched this over and over, uh, is so important. And um, where they're, they're both understand where the other uh, discipline, if you will, or other silo in the organization is coming from um, so that they can get better at both. So is it mostly a communications gap in your view, or is it something more than that? I think so. I think uh, communications gap, um, again, traditionally we've hired, you know, a marketing person or an advertising, you know, placement person or a salesperson. And, and, you know, that's not the way it works anymore. I mean, you know, we have inbound marketing and, and social channels, and so salespeople now are, are, you know, finally saying, okay, well, maybe I need to have more of a social media presence. Well, marketing has been doing that um, for a long time, but they're doing it for the organization. Let's talk, you know, medium or smaller type companies. Even larger companies sometimes, but the salespeople are, are completely talking about something different. So I do. I mean, that's why I talk about, you know, communications and human behavior focus. I do feel it's a, a communication breakdown, and you kind of have two groups of people, um, and oftentimes the leadership, which is another big thing I focus on, kind of going in sometimes in three different directions. So you, know, you get the, the company leadership talking about this, this is where we're going, marketing say, hey, we're going to go out and brand ourselves this way, and this is how we're going to gain eyeballs and listeners and you know and engagement, and the salespeople going out talking about something um, that's, that could be uh, completely different. And obviously, you know, that's not – that's not what an organization wants to be doing. Okay, so we don't want to be pulling in all of these different directions. How do we get everyone pulling in the same direction? It's, um, it's, a, it's a tough one. You know, it, it has to, first of all, you know, my experience with, with consulting, you know, you have to have an organization that is willing to change. I mean, it, it, has, to, it has to start at the top. Um, I've tried change initiatives where you come in and you get, you know, groups of 20 or 30 who, who try to be change agents, if you will. But without complete support and buying at the top, uh, you know, knowing that, hey, your boss or the top people are actually, you know, hey, they want to change, and sometimes they may be the hardest ones to get to change. That's how you begin, but so, so that they know it's not just a, hey, a consulting exercise or, hey, this is flavor of the month type stuff, or hopefully this guy will go away so we can go back to doing it the way we've always done it. Um, you know, so marketing and sales, um, you know, then have to realize they are really playing the same game. It's just two different sides of a coin, and they each have a lot to learn from each other. And they have to realize what I always call there's a thing in change management called the, the, the valley of despair. Change gets harder before it gets easier. And people tell me all of the time, you know, when, when I come in to consult with them, Oh, man, Ryan, we're ready. You know, it's our time. We want to change. We want to get on the same page. We're really ready. We're so excited you're here. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's not going to be just one time. It's good. You, know, you didn't get this way overnight, nor am I, you know, do I have a magic wand to change it. You're going to participate. It has to be a, you know, a growth-oriented process. But I tell them, I said, it's going to get harder before it's going to get easier. So take the analogy, uh, you know, if we were looking at somebody and you're trying to lose weight, you know, Hannah, and you sit there and you exercise every day and you cut back on your food and, you know, six weeks later, you feel like you're just not making a lot of progress, odds are you're going to be frustrated. But if you keep doing those things, we all know, on the other side, you, you're going to get to where you want. The problem is where you push through, where the people push through, and, um, 
you know, stick with it to get to the other side where the improvement's higher. And some companies do, excuse me, some companies and organizations do, some don't. Um, but it's the human beings that I find the hardest part in any of this change process, any of the marketing, any of the sales, of getting them to, you know, stay focused and realize what they can do when, when all those silos are broken down and the communications are working well. It's always the people, isn't it? It is always the people. Um, when I teach uh, college, university courses, they say, what is the hardest part of organizational change, Ryan? What's the hardest part of culture? I said, well, you just answer your own question. Organizational culture is the ingrained DNA of human beings who've been there for a long time that have manifested itself, you know, uh, over time. And, and, yeah, I mean, human beings like doing things the way they've always done them, even if if you go to a room of adults and they have a weekly meeting, they sit in the same seat for the most part every week. If you think, you know, Hannah, you think what I'm talking about. And and so oftentimes I'll have a meeting or a class I teach and I'll tell people in the third week just to get up and move to, you know, from the front to the back. And they, they look at me like I'm crazy. I mean, like, what do you mean? This is my seat. And and it just goes to show you on a small scale, we get very comfortable. And um, and that, that kind of inhibit, you know, uh, can... can keep us from um, thinking uh, what the way we need to be. And in this world we live in where things change at such a rapid speed, um, yeah, I mean, humans are more important than ever. It doesn't seem like it with technology, but uh, that's a big theme through all my books and speeches is uh, the human beings, what makes us all unique and different. But, you know, we have to engage and pay attention to, to, to accomplish that. Well, let's talk some more about sales credibility. I love the title of your book, Would You Buy From You? Because I think so many people, especially in that sales mindset, they they get their pitch down, you know, they've got the whole spiel going, and it's like, well, it's supposed to sell it. But, you know, you really ask sort of the threshold question, would you buy from you? You believe this, shtick? <laughs> and right. I wonder that- how many people could answer that, honestly, and say, uh, yeah. Uh, I could, I would, as opposed to, well, I, you know, I'm not sure. Do they believe themselves? So let's talk about sales credibility. What are the building blocks of sales credibility? Sales credibility is everything. I mean, I I recently uh, have a couple different businesses I own, and I was bringing on a salesperson, and the person started talking about, I don't want to be salesy. And I said, well, um, everything I believe in in sales. I'm not talking about everybody believes this, Hannah, but I do. You know, uh, people don't want to be sold to. People don't want to be talked at. Um, credibility comes down to what I defined at the end of this book, what I call a pact. And everything is built upon a pact, P-A-C-T. You know, it's our passion, our, 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 our absolute contagious passion that, that is, you know, people want to be a part of. You know, they're willing to, to sacrifice to be a part of it. It's our authenticity, you know, online or offline. It's our being real and human and transparent. It, that's, that's A. You know, or C, it's how creative are we in our approach? You know, are we willing to zig if everybody else zags? And then, you know, our credibility is T, is built on trust. Um, you know, online or offline, there's humans everywhere. At the end of the day, I came to this conclusion because I was doing enough consulting work and or speaking, and I would ask even CEOs, would you buy from yourself? And tell me why. And they'd like, uh, well, I mean, well, Ryan, what, I mean, what exactly product would I be selling? And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Wait a second. If you wouldn't buy from you and you can't even answer the question, why would anybody else buy from you? And, and, and you know, when I started seeing this, it was like, well, I mean, I, I think it would. I mean, would our prices be competitive? And I started seeing, like, they weren't sure, and, and then then the question would even go deeper. And Hannah would be like, 
Well, you know, I mean, what would we have to work with? I mean, would we be able to hire more staff to, to, to make our message more compelling? And I'm like, wow. And I started realizing that a lot of companies say, well, I don't really know what makes us different, Ryan. Um, quite frankly, we say and offer much the same thing as a lot of companies in our industry. What, what, would, you, what would you suggest we offer? And I'm like, oh, wow. So, you know, at that point I started realizing – you know, we had to dummy it down and get back to the human basics, you know, again, the passion, authenticity, creative, creative approach, and then, you know, it all built on trust to realize these guys, some people have gotten so caught up with Twitter and, and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat or whatever it may be that they've lost sight now of, of some of the basics that make humans humans and, and you know, and, and I've really tried to break down all this stuff saying it all has to come back to a relationship built on trust. And that hasn't changed. And so people want to say, well, Dale Carnegie, you're saying Dale Carnegie's back in style versus I thought you were a big guy on Twitter. I'm like, I think both of them are important. You know, <laughs> if you're focused on the human. So that's that would be my response. So you think we're our own worst enemy when it comes to this? Well, I do. I think, I think we, we, we overthink it. I mean, you know, a lot of people, give me an example. Uh, one of my friends owns a staffing company. They place temporary workers in places. I mean, a few years ago when I was working on this concept, he said, you know, he, he said, um, you know, and he's not a marketing guy. He's not a sales guy, but he, he, he's, he's a really relationship guy. He's an honest, ethical guy. And, and he just has gotten caught up with he has to have a glitzy website and has, you know, hire an agency to put, you know, slick stuff together. That's what he thinks of as sales or marketing, branding. But I was, I was challenged in one day, and I said, what makes your staffing company unique? I mean, you've been in, you know, what is it? I mean, this was right a couple of years ago when I was working on this. And he, he, you know, he's one of my best friends, and he started getting a little upset. And I said, he said, Ryan, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. I mean, you know, the rates are about the same and everything. You know, we do a good job. And, and I kept pushing him. And he finally was like, you know what? You know, my handshake means something. You know, I do what I say I'm going to do. When something goes wrong, I stand behind it and make it right. You know, I've been in business 20 years. My, 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 my words are my bond. I'm like, bingo. There you go. And I said it took me to, to push you that much. It's not that complicated. You see, we now have your why, your deep why. Your, you know, what what makes you, what made you start this business in the first place is those things right there, and you built upon it. You're making it too complicated by feeling you have to have a you know ritzy you know all these things out in the internet and and, and the web and, and 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 social media. And that's you do need that presence, but you got to understand what you're about at your core DNA. So yeah, we're we're our own worst enemy sometimes. Um, I deal with that sometimes. So you get to a point where, you know, see all paralysis by analysis. You're looking at something so many times that you don't do anything, and you just keep staring, staring at it. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, you've, you've got to fire, and, you know, you certainly need to aim, but you, you've, got to, you've got to fire and, and, and make something happen and take a step and see what's working and measure it. And if it doesn't work, then be, be okay taking a couple of steps back and going in a different direction. And um, so we do slow our own progress. I definitely think, I think so at times. Well, it's interesting how you talked about your friend thinking he needed this slick PR agency and, and all this razzle-dazzle. I'm, I'm wondering whether, generally, we're all too plugged in, tuned in, turned on to our environment that we're outsourcing our brand. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. You know, I, I think a great example of that would be, this is something I've thought about the last couple of years, and I even mentioned it in my, my most recent book, Would You Buy From You?, Think about the TV specials where they're they're doing these live, you know, Peter Pan. I can't think what they were, but Peter Pan or Nutcracker or whatever on TV. So we go back to, what, 30, 40 years ago, there was only live TV. And then we got sophisticated and we could edit TV and make something as cool as it could be. And then people started DVRing it. So they went back to being completely human the last couple of years and they're showing these live TV specials right near Christmas time. 
and it's cool again to watch because people have to, if they want to see it, they have to watch it live, you know, to get the experience of being recorded live. And I, and I watch what Facebook's doing or Periscope's doing uh, is live. So, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, we have to look and realize our, our humanness and, and not trying to make everything so perfect and realizing that sometimes less is more than what we say and consistency across our brands is is. Is good is a good thing. I mean, when I go speak speak, I was at a big event uh, several times, and I told them they said, "Well, don't you want to eat lunch before you go up there in the, on the stage?" And I said, I, "I'm hungry, but if I do, I will spill something all over my shirt." And they're laughing like I'm kidding. I'm like, "I, I know me, I will." And then you know, and I said, "But that's part of my brand, right?" You know, and you got to embrace that. And if you can turn it in, people like to laugh. You know, people like to smile. You know, we all carry the same burdens and concerns. We're all human beings. And, you know, our brand is not what someone else's is. You know, I always say it's not what you say your brand is. It's what they say it is. So you could say my brand is we have the most efficient processes and pricing and and so forth. And when I go do a survey of a company, they say, actually, they're the the, – uh, their customer service is why I, I get with them. And, and they don't even realize what their brand is. I think it's, it's very important. And, again, sometimes we overcomplicate things to the point that um, we kind of got to get back to the basics and remember how all human communication started and just remember organizations are comprised of human beings, whether they're three-person organizations or, you know, 100,000 persons. I mean, that's – and then things, you know, evolve from there and communications evolve from there and – um, that's how it works. Interesting. Now, you've written several books in this sales sphere, the most recent being Would You Buy From You, Your Brand Makes the Difference. What inspired you to write that book? When I worked with everyone in sales, you know, we, we learn, we learn uh, the topics that uh, are passionate. And everyone's in sales, you know, I, I talked about, again, kind of what I mentioned earlier, is that you know, we're all communicators. So I try to write to the quote-unquote non-salesperson who says, I don't like salespeople. They're always trying to pull a fast one on me. And I'm like, well, that's not what I'm writing about. You know, there's a lot of those training programs. That's not what I'm writing about. So I cover material in the book and you know, adapting our personality to meet the needs of another person and find there's finding a fit, a true fit, that's mutually beneficial to both parties. But a couple, you know, two or three years go by, and you start having an edge of like, man, there's things I didn't address. And I started realizing and would you buy from you? I started saying, you know, golly, it was three themes, and I saw our brand has to stand out, you know, individually, organizationally, or we just get lost in the noise. I saw this constantly connected world we live in, where you know, every person I talk to, and I'm sure you might relate to this, says, you know, I'm slammed, I'm buried, I'm drowning, I'm running ragged, I'm in the weeds, I'm covered up. I hear these themes over and over, and then I started saying. Do people think at the deepest level anymore? Are we, a, you know, we, are we just like a tweet world, a snap world? You know, I mean, where it's just, you know, we have an attention span, as one of my friends, marketing friends says, of a goldfish, you know, six seconds. And so I started, you know, going, what do I want to write the book about in our constantly connected world and under the iceberg deep level, you know, mindset? You know, I want to really get to their why, W-H-Y, or, or do I want to talk, you know, I'm, but I really want to talk about their branding, their uniqueness, DNA that makes the difference. And ultimately, what I did is I divided that book because I, you know, again, I had the itch from after everyone's in sales to a couple years later to, you know, writing books about a year-long endeavor. So when when I say itch, it had to become a, a real strong itch. But uh, you know, it became this first section was let's look at the world we live in. It's loud and noisy and crazy and moving fast, and you know, people are, are texting you and emailing you and using social media channels. And I started counting between book one and book two. You know, I thought book one and whatever that was, 2012, had, you know, enough ways to communicate with me. And by book two, you know, three years later, 
the number of ways people communicate with me was even higher. So I said, that's the world we live in of getting your brand out there. You know, and then we have to look to how, how deep do we really go in understanding another person? I mean, are we surface level or are we under the iceberg, what I call it? Under the, an under the iceberg mindset begins with why. Do we just look at surface level what's and how's and just what we see and, you know, what's visible and what's easy and, you know, like laziness. You know, hey, hey let's look it up on Google or, or look at Wikipedia. That'll give you a quick answer. And that's kind of the mentality, an on-demand mentality. But... Once we fight through that, we have to say, okay, you know, if we're going to if we're going to fight through a constantly connected world with a short attention span, if we're going to think at the deepest why level, and really articulate what we're about in a handful of seconds, but we have to have a brand that that again, that's where I said that pact, the passion, authenticity, creativity, and trust that exudes and is consistent across platforms. So, for example. I try my darndest, and I make plenty of mistakes, but I try my darndest to, when I tweet something or post something or say something in person or say something on the phone or say something in an interview or say something in a you know, national article or speech, it's pretty darn consistent. You know, In other words, I'm going to talk about the same things. You're not going to hear me talking about the personal human touch on your show and then going out and talking about, I think, the personal touch is overrated and technology is everything that really matters and people don't matter. I mean, that's an inconsistent brand, and and. You know that's an that's an extreme example, but I think um, that's that's been my approach. So that's why I wrote the book, um, and I was I was honored. You know, uh, it was only a few weeks back. A, you know, company I, I had done some work for um, actually used it as their uh, training module for their sales and marketing force and, and executives. So they it was kind of weird to have them using the book as a uh, all day Saturday training, and I'm sitting in the sitting in the room. So I guess they wanted to ask me real time questions, but. Yeah, so I kind of broke it down in three parts that build upon each other and trying to answer this, uh, you know, would you buy from you question. So someone reading that book or the people at this all-day training session on, on the Saturday that you got to sit in on, which is like watching yourself, I guess, what would be their <laughs> biggest takeaway? What would you want them to take? If there's just one thing they could remember from that whole one-day program, what would you want it to be? Oh, I told them that, you know, the, the end of the day, they're only competitions themselves. You know, I said, you know, well, there was two groups back to back. One was in Utah and one was in the Carolinas. And I said, and both of them said, well, you know, you better said the, the governor of so-and-so spoke here last year. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the governor. <laughs> I'm Ryan Sowers. You know, I can't be the governor because I haven't lived the life experience of the governor, but I can be me. And that's what I wanted to say. I'm like, you know, you're, you're, if you're trying to compete and be someone that you're not, I'm not saying we don't short, but I'm a big believer, as, as you and I have discussed, you know, of, of self-growth and improvement and continual learning. But that's what I want them to see. Their competition at the end of the day, if their company's solid and what they're offering is themselves. Because somebody's going to get that customer. Somebody's going to listen to one radio station or TV station or, you know, blah, 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 over another. The question is why. And, and you know, you either want it bad enough to, to get it or you make excuses of why it can't happen. And that's what I think they left with. Which, which I told him. I said, at the end of the day, you're you, I'm me. And my wife might say, thank goodness. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we all have that unique God-given DNA, and it's what we do with it that, that makes And so that's why I say in the title, you know, our brand, your brand makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. And so I really try to break it down to them. You know, don't make excuses of everybody else. They're them, you're you. Take what you got, work to your strengths, and, uh, and make it happen. That's what I said. Great. Be the best you that you can be, right? Then knock it out yeah, of the ballpark. Exactly. Right, exactly. And I think that sometimes, you know, I always tell them, you know, if you have a uh, right hand and a left hand, one's more comfortable to you. You know, I'm right-handed, so right hand, shaking hand, signing my name, whatever's more comfortable. It doesn't mean I'm going to short up my left hand, 
But, you know, I'm going to be a lot more efficient with my right hand. So I said, guys, you know, you, you know, if, you, if someone's left hand and you're trying to compete, you know, weak, then, then um, you know, work to your strengths. I mean, and, and build upon those. Sharp your weaknesses, but, you know, go play with your right hand because that's what you're going to have the most success with. So I just wanted to add that one part. I'm glad you did. Play to your strengths. I love that. Well, you seem to have a lot of strengths, Ryan, and I'm really <laughs> fascinated by your background. Can you tell me what... Give me a little insight into what makes you tick. Is there an influencer that's had a significant impact on your life that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, my faith is very important to me, um, you know, and, and uh, that's certainly a, a guiding principle in my life. A um, um, couple of people come to mind, you know. Um, one, one person, um, uh, Art Johnson, is a, um, was a professor of mine, and when I went back years later after professional experience to get my master's degree, and I have to tell you that uh, I must have driven this guy crazy. I mean, I, I went around and around and around about, you know, should I get an MBA? Should I get a master's in organizational leadership? But I've always been a person to kind of look way well out and, and 10 years out, and, and I felt that this organizational leadership and how human beings work, kind of like we talked about earlier, was going to become more important than the traditional you know, hard metric to MBA, and that's exactly what's proved to be true. Um, but I basically drove him crazy trying to figure out every, you know, aspect of the program. Could I pull it off? You know, it's, you know, as I had little kids at the time and whatever. And But he believed in me. He saw something in me. And I remember one of our very first classes that he taught, even though he was the advisor of the program, um, was on Myers-Briggs, which is one of the most pers- uh, widely used personality instruments in the world. And he was certified in it. Years later, I became certified in it. Um, and so obviously that had an influence. And that, I mean, that, again, was a principle of adaptive communication, left-hand, right-hand, that I employed in my first book. So, you know, look at that and that experience and how much I learned because I realized, like, man, you know, I thought, I thought I'd really seen a lot or learned, but I hadn't challenged my thinking, which a lot of adults, you know, I work with a lot of working adults, teach a lot of working adults. We know what we know. We know what we've read. We know where we've traveled, what our friends tell us, what we see online. But, you know, are we, are we really thinking at the deepest level? Are we up to date? You know, every time I'm in a speech, you know, I have some guy says, oh, everybody knows that. There's nothing new to learn. And I'm like, well, if you're, you're either going forward or you're going backward, you know. You know, so, so Art uh, played a key role and then later, you know, encouraged me to said, you know, Ryan, if you really, you have this in you, you know, you should pursue your doctorate. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> you got me, you got me to finish the master's finally and you, you think I should. So, you know, lo and behold, I did the Myers-Briggs thing and DISC and got certified in several, you know, personality assessments, which helped uh, a lot for what I do. And then um, I did. I began the Ph.D. work, and I'm about halfway through that right now. But, you know, that was grueling. But I realized there, uh, if I didn't have somebody like that who had, who had believed in me. And then there, were, there was a guy named uh, Dr. Ludden, uh, the Ph.D. program. And these were all people that were in the business world. These aren't academians. These are people that happened to teach that had tremendous consulting experience. You know, and they saw something in me where I was connecting the world and theories and making them simple for people to understand and so they didn't have to try to read a 30-page manuscript to understand it. I'm like, here's basically what this means in four sentences. Um, so he was one of them, um, and, and I have, you know, another couple, I think. But, uh, I, you know, that, that the education part of my life um, has propelled me with knowledge that I then take process and make it in a way that can come out in a book or a speech so that people can understand it and take it away from a workshop or training or an article I write, but they don't need to, you know, they don't have to learn all this other stuff, and it's in a, you know everyday language that can help them and you know improve their sales, marketing, or you know leadership development. Very nice, very nice. It's always good when somebody believes in you to to help 
give lift to your wings so that you can fly a little higher and go a little further. I've noticed that in a lot of the guests that I've interviewed, having somebody that believes in them helps them believe in themselves and really allows them to pursue their God-given talents. So that is really wonderful to hear. And I love that you can simplify complex concepts and theories so that people can apply them in their daily life to make things a little bit better. So Ryan, thank you so much for your time, your insights, and for shedding some light on sales credibility, because it's definitely the tipping point when it comes to making things happen. My pleasure. It's so great to be on the show and uh, um, sharing, just having a chance to share with your audience some of these principles. You know, maybe it does make someone think, hey, we've overcomplicated something, or maybe we just need to think through, you know, what makes us unique and play upon that. And sometimes simple is better, and, and we've overcomplicated things. And remember, our humanness and being real uh, makes a huge difference and answers that would you buy from you question. Yeah, for sure. That ability to genuinely connect and not in this superficial social media world. I think it's it's really ironic that social media sometimes is really very antisocial. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is. And, and people are now have become chronic abusers of, of certain platforms of, of, of LinkedIn. And, you know, they, they don't even get to know you. They just want to connect with you and, and add you to their, Rolodex, their old-fashioned Rolodex, if you will. And, and, yeah, I mean, what should have been started as a social you know, give before you ask has become, you know, a, a spam marketing stuff. And, and that's people doing it wrong. Um, the people that you can build, and I have, I have a lot of people that wrote testimonials in my book that speak all over the globe and I've New York Times bestsellers who were kind enough to write testimonials for my books. But that came from taking time to get to know them as humans, not their persona online. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then... 